Thank you. It really is uh, good to be together. And I was just thinking as we worshipped and, and the band did great, you know, in the sense of just overcoming one or two issues, um, that, um, you know, it's just wonderful tonight that there are all sorts of contexts uh, across our nation and across the nations of the earth where people can gather and worship. And, uh, and there, there is something just absolutely um, uh, unique about the, the ability to worship the Lord together. We understand that God's with us every moment of every, of every day if we're believers. Uh, and we understand that we can know his presence and he wants us to know his presence. But as we just w- simply worship tonight in, uh, in uh, a, a hired hall, uh, it was, it's God's house. It's, the, it's where God's presence comes. And um, I just thought that's happening again and again and again and again. Uh, places of refuge, places of security, places of welcome. Uh, and uh, we just need to keep believing that God's going to do it more and more and proliferate it more and more. Even through Arena Church, that that uh, that we really will, as we heard this uh, this morning, um, that we really will see more and more contexts of uh, of gatherings unto unto Him. So, if we had uh, if we'd not hit technicals tonight, there'd be a nice backdrop to to which the uh, media team do for us, simply called Stand. And uh, during this autumn season, Mark next week, and then we really begin to sort of get into just the preparation for Christmas. We've just really been encouraging ourselves on this uh, simple word. It started off with Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 14, where four times the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, encourages them to stand, stand then. And uh, he reminds them in that context that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. And the reality is that, sadly, even mentioning those words tonight, sometimes... uh, People have hijacked it, they've made it spooky, they've, they've gone to extremes. But here's the truth. Once we come out of darkness into light, once we uh, say that we want to follow Jesus Christ, there will be things on occasions that stand against us. We'll have to see the devil around every corner. But the reality is we have a spiritual opponent who's a tempter, who's an adversary, who's an accuser, who's a liar. He brings all those things to seek to stand against us. And that's what we wrestle against. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. And uh, we, we, we describe that wrestling as a sort of a grappling. He'd seek to entwine us and entangle us with his schemes and plans. And yet God's called us to live free. So in all of that, we're called to stand. The original meaning of that word in the original language of the, of the New Testament would, would mean to abide, to continue, uh, to establish, to set. It's about alertness and awareness And uh, God's called us as church to be exactly that. God's not going to come, friends, to apathy. He's he's not going to come to where people are indifferent. He's going to come to where people are making a stand. And we've talked about this recently in uh, uh, staff context in terms of arena church. We meet once a week just to pray and share together. And we really need to get the balance here in terms of of standing. Because um, God does want us to stand up and be counted for what we believe, for what we stand for, for what is dear to our hearts. The Apostle Paul says, I know in whom I believe, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed against that day. But we need to communicate it properly and lovingly and kindly and graciously, because actually that does give some expression of the battle that we're in. We live in a liberal, secular society that seeks, it's not going to win friends, but seeks to marginalize the things of God. And we need to stand. And so I, I set a little bit of a scene for that on that week. And then Josh talked from Corinthians 15 about standing. 
firm. We then looked at 2 Chronicles 20, which is often encouraging us to stand, uh, to, to, to bring praise to God. And of course, that's absolutely true. But right in the midst of that, it says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And that being still and standing still is often misunderstood. It's not about uh, passivity. It's not even about silence or quietness. But it's, on, it, it's drawing our attention to, to, to the sovereign God and to realize that he is in control of every situation of our lives personally and collectively. And then last week, Paul brought that message from Philippians 4 about standing together. And the reality is that every time I've reflected on this this week, I mentioned it to Christian, that every time unity now comes under attack in Arena Church, we're going to remember trudging and wedging. I mean, you know, you've laid it in, Paul. And uh, there was something that was laid into us last week through a great illustration from Paul's professional uh, workplace uh, context that I I think really does help us. And we understand at times that the enemy will seek to undermine unity because he realizes the power of it. We need to see it for what it is, discern those seasons, and be trudging and wedging so that we're absolutely standing together in the purposes of God. And so we conclude tonight by simply encouraging ourselves not only to stand firm and to stand still and to stand together, but also to stand out. Not stand out because we're weird, but to stand out because we're in the light. Not to stand out because we're trying to be odd or strange, but to stand out because God has called us uniquely to be his in these days. And the reality is we could do nothing else if we're truly following the Lord. So I want to read two passages of scripture briefly. First, in Acts chapter 27. If you let your imagination run right for a few moments as I read these verses, you'll have your sou'wester on, the rain will be going into your faces, you'll be rocking and rolling on a ship. Because that is the context of these particular verses. The Apostle Paul is on a journey to Rome. People said that he wouldn't go there, but prophetically, he had a word that he would. They set sail from Crete against his better direction. And there they are in a huge storm that's tossing the boat around. And it seems that all lives would be lost. But he says in verse 21, that after they'd gone a long time without food, which is never very good, is it? Unless you've committed to a, a fasting period. Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost and the ship will, uh, and, uh, and only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God in whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid. That's the second time we've heard that this today. Paul You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So because of the purpose of God on him, it meant that the rest of the crew were going to be saved as well. Incredible. So keep up your courage, men. See, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Verse 21 there says that Paul stood up. It could very accurately also put Paul stood out. He stood out, friends, and had something to say and the christian church in our nation in these days in this town in this area where god is increasingly just stirring our hearts to do something significant for him in fact something that he's never done before god wants us to stand out and say something not to say something that's just simply against for the sake of being against not something that's with a bad spirit that turns people away rather than drawing to 
But something also that is not out of speculation, but revelation. You see, the Apostle Paul wasn't just talking about, guys, we're in a bit of a mess here. I think we're going to get to the other side. He says, last night an angel came to me. In other words, I'm speaking out of a revelation from God. It's going to be okay. So keep your courage. Because I'm going to get to Rome. And because I'm going to get to Rome, you're all going to be safe. Amazing. And church... God's calling us in these days not just to speak out of speculation, but revelation. The church of Jesus Christ that hears something from heaven and speaks the word of the Lord into situations. So that people sit up and take notice of what we've got to, to say and to minister. That's standing out. Now if you go to Matthew 5, which are very familiar verses entitled the Sermon on the Mount. And verse 13, Jesus said these words emphatically. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city or or a town, a city on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. So it stands out. And gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way. Let your lights shine before others. That they may see your good deeds or good works. And glorify your father which is in heaven. There's so much we could say about that. We'll try to say a few things. But just impact it again before we just come to unpacking that. About that whole thing of people seeing our good works. You understand that historically. There's been debates between word and works in the church. And uh, there was a time, particularly perhaps in some of the, uh, so in, in, in historical Pentecostalism, where uh, people ran to the word. There was a little bit of a sort of suspicion that if you just involved yourself in social action, you'd liberalise the gospel, you know, and you'd lost the passion of preaching for repentance. But actually, friends, the reality is that as we read the word of God, word and works has and always will work together. You can't divorce the two. Some people do want to simply do works, but there is a power in the release word. And other people simply want to release the word, but yet never engage with people in actually showing the gospel, what theologians call incarnationally. We come in a Christmas time where we celebrate the incarnation of Christ. And works is manifesting the good news of Jesus into people's lives. It's as if Jesus was in the earth. He can't be everywhere, so he's made a body. The body is the church, his hands, his feet. And we express the good works of Jesus. And when people see those good works, why do you do it? Because we can. Why do you love us? Because we love you. Why do you give food to people who are hungry? Because God's called us to. They, not us, glorify the Father that is in heaven. Does that mean every one of them is going to become believers? I'm not sure about that. But I want to tell you, friends, experientially, even on our journey of recent years of freshly prophetically committing to works we've had people that haven't yet come to faith that have given glory to god without any question without any question and the church of jesus christ speaking out out of revelation and jesus here doesn't sort of ask us to think about it he says you are salt you are light and in standing out tonight friends i just want to impact these very familiar verses again for us for a moment or two Because God wants to shake you all over the earth. He wants to shake you all over this town. He wants you to be salt. 
And he wants you to light all over the place with the light of God. And you know, if we'll do that, we'll inevitably make a difference. We'll inevitably make a difference. Our society, surely now, friends, when it seems often on occasions to be going off in all sorts of directions, needs a people that will stand out. A people that will unashamedly live a different lifestyle because they know they're called to Jesus. And a people that will know and minister a distinguishable message which is rooted in the cross. And when we root a message in the cross, it's not just about words. It's always about works as well. Always. Someone says, it is the difference that makes the difference. And the challenge is that God has called the body of Christ, the church, every one of us here to bring our skills, our talents, our calling, our journey, our experience, our ins and outs, our ups and downs, our victories and defeats, right into the mix of this thing called the body of Christ to make a difference. So you are the salt of the earth. Let me just talk about salt for a minute. You see, in ancient times, you say, well, yeah, we know about it, sodium and chloride, you know, but salt in ancient times was highly valued. In fact, in the Roman world that Jesus was speaking into, salt was as valued as the sun. It was such an important commodity. It used to be hewn from the earthen substances of the earth. And it was there to do a job. And uh, I want to just, for you to think about that tonight, as you think about salt, that that is what God has called us to be about. It stood out. It, it made a difference. Let me just give you three things regarding salt. Number one, it speaks of purity. Of course it does. It's whiteness. And the connection is easily made. The Romans again said that salt was the purest of all things. Purity. Something that's just continually fought against in these days in which we live. There is a battle that rages for purity. We live in an impure world of bad language, vulgarity, attitudes that offend the heart of God. And into that, God said to the Christian church, you're the salt of the earth. And I want you to live with purity. Let me just give you three illustrations. and I'm not going to go there in terms of explaining them, but from the Bible, it talks about a pure conscience. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, Paul says, I come to you with a pure or a clean conscience. You know, there's times in all of our lives, probably, which we, we wish we'd not give, been given, and I use the word advisedly, the gift of a conscience. Because it can gnaw away at times, can't it? It really can. Here's the truth. I believe that believers, unbelievers have a grace on their lives for a conscience, and some of them behave very sensitively to it. But when the Holy Spirit dwells your life, boy, it gets even more sensitive, doesn't it? And God wants us to live with a pure conscience. He really does. You know, we, we need to ask God to help us with that. Then in James chapter 1 verse 27, it talks about pure religion. And it's the only time in the New Testament when, the, when religion is used positively. You read the Gospels and Jesus was withering in his condemnation of religious people. Woo! Read Matthew 23. He went just to quote to, you know, he went through them like a dose of salt. <laughs> but in James chapter 1, which of course is a whole book relating to our faith being expressed in works not to get to faith but to come from faith he says that when you look after the orphans and the widows the poor widows you are expressing pure religion and undefiled incredible 
And then it talks in James chapter 3 about pure wisdom. Pure wisdom. Wisdom is a very understood word. People think you've got to get as old as me before you can live wisely. But you know, the reality is for our young people that pitch up regularly on a Sunday night to, to, to support this, uh, this great venture of Arena Mansfield, you can live in amazing purity of wisdom in your teenage 20s years. You see, because it's living the ways of God. The, la- the ways of God will inevitably cause you to stand out. The ways of God are in opposition and against the ways of the world. And there will be times when the world will seek to squeeze you into its mold, to define you, to, to, to put its, its destiny upon your lives. It's in those moments that we need to run to the wise ways of God and run to them because they absolutely are full of purity. The wise ways of the Lord. Salt talks about preservation. You see, nowadays we're spoiled. We've got refrigerators and, and, uh, and ice boxes and stuff that we can put food in for literally months. And some of you, you know, I think it's five weeks on, uh, on Tuesday, that Christmas Day, and you'll already be putting stuff aside and it'll be just there and producing just a great meal on Christmas Day and the days after. But of course, it's a relatively modern invention. Christian thought he wished he thought about it before the bloke did, the, to, to, to did it, because he made a few, Bob. But, uh, uh, but what, what used to be used in ancient times and in relatively modern times, well, salt would be a great preservant. It would be something that would be used to halt decay and corruption. And I want to say tonight that if sometimes we get perturbed about trends in the 21st century society in which we live, then you've got to shake yourself around a little bit more. Because you can be an impact upon halting <coughs> corruption and decay. <coughs> and thirdly, salt is a presence or an influence. <coughs> Some of you like loads of salt in your food. I'm not going to go there tonight and put a guilt trip on you or anything like that. It's up to you. Um, but uh, you imagine sat down and you feel if you like, they say, there's no salt in this. There's no salt in these potatoes. You know, there's no salt in in other words, you, 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 you find that there's no, there's no presence, there's no influence of something that is, is going to enhance your meal. You put some salt on it. And, you know, the Bible says in Colossians 4, 6, that let your conversation be seasoned with salt. And here at the end of verse 13, and also in Mark nine fifty, Jesus encourages us to maintain our saltiness. I'm not going to go off there tonight, but here's the reality. It's that whole sense of our continuing commitment to a close relationship with Jesus. That's how we say salty. And people, friends, that withdraw themselves from him and his presence and withdraw themselves from a community of believers that are passionate of going on with God end up fairly quickly on occasions seeking to be salty. Jesus is uncompromising in his language. He's not talking about you losing your salvation, but he says that it becomes, it, it becomes good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In other words, the ability of your life to stand out and be a difference gets compromised. And I want to encourage us tonight to stay salty, to let God keep shaking us around in our areas of influence Because we bring a purity without realizing it at times. And we impact people without them really knowing. We bring a preservation that pushes back on decay and corruption. And we bring a presence. We bring an influence that touches people deeply. 
in the core of their being. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Just think for a moment of a dark experience. Oh, I got the shivers when I was preparing this this week, because I'll give you two. So 1982, I went for the first time to Romania. And uh, all being well next year, we're going to go. Geeks' daughters get married in, in June next year. All being well, we're going to go to Leah's wedding. And, uh, and uh, so the first time I went with Sheldon, some of you know Sheldon, another friend. And uh, we, we arrived at the Romanian border. I mean, drove a lorry for three days. Um, and uh, the, the, the broken down barrier began to say everything about a broken nation that was seeking to emerge uh, post the assassination of President Ceausescu out of communism into, into something of a newer world. But boy, was, it, was there a long way to go. And uh, that Thursday evening, I remember it well, we literally bro- drove into a black hole. No cat's eyes, no overhead lights, nothing. We just drove into blackness. And literally the three of us were driving, one driving, two watching. And, uh, and uh, I, I remember it now. I get the shudders now. I thought, what have we come to? And we stopped at this place. And it was like one of them spy things. You looked and I thought, everybody's watching us, you know. And uh, shadowy figures walking around. It was, it was pretty scary. Uh, and God was so good. And then I remember sort of fairly recently, um, Sharon was working and it was uh, half term the, the uh, last autumn. And I was going to see Kevin Shaw in Matlock. And I said to Sharon, great idea. I said, I'm going to see Kevin in the morning. I'll put my walking boots on. I'll go for a walk and then I'll pick you up from work. And uh, she says, great. So I parked at your grieve. Uh, some of you know you'll grieve. The idea was that I was going to go down through the town, up that Kildare, come across the fields and back. No problems. Only I, I, I got lost. <laughs> and uh, I ended up in Overhaven. And uh, I remember now the panic on my face when I said to this guy, mate, I'm trying to get back to your grief. Just, he says, yeah, it's seven miles, mate. Seven miles! <laughs> and uh, there was only one way to get back then. That was to walk here, that's for sure. Because... You know, taxis don't tend to come through over Adden on a regular basis. And I remember trudging up the hill. Some of you know that road, trudging up the hill. It got darker and darker and darker. And at the, t- the same as it was getting darker, my battery on the mobile was getting less and less. I said to Sharon, this is the last call. Got to the top of the hill, down again. Pitch black, mobile gone. And here I am, a 50-odd-year-old block, and I was terrified on it. It was really, really scary. It was pitch black. And the only time that the blackness was broken was when somebody was trying to send me into eternity with a car coming up the road and I had to die. And all of a sudden, I'm literally, I said to Shane, I thought these lights were never coming. You know, I, you know my sense of direction is pretty reasonable. I can get us through Birmingham without a sound. I can't actually. But, uh, but uh, I really thought, that, you know, I, I got completely lost. Couldn't contact Shane. I think I just got a final one in. Until there was this just dim light in the... In the uh, in the distance, which was the, the beginning of the streetlights in Yulgeave. My car was there. I, know, I, mean, so I ended up walking about 16 miles that day, you know, <laughs> instead of the sort of seven that I planned. Tired, thirsty, worn out, late. Oh, and it was dark. And maybe you can just go to one or two experiences of darkness, you know, perhaps when you're kids or whatever. And uh, it sometimes can be frightening. And the reality is, spiritually speaking, it's dark out there. It really is. And God says, you're the light of the world. We know that he's the light of the world, but you're the light of the world. We know that as we draw towards this great Christmas season, one of the things that we're going to think about is that Jesus is light. Beautiful. Great season of themes and truths regarding the life of Jesus. But you're the light of the world. And the Bible says in John 3 that men often love darkness rather 
than light. And tomorrow, you'll walk into some situations that frankly are dark. People's integrity that's not all that it should be. People's ethics. Perhaps they'll talk about things that they've done this week and think, mate, shouldn't have done that. Darkness. And God says, will you go out there and shine for me, please? Will you go out and shine? What does lightness do? Well, it brings illumination. You know, you just realize that that guy that invented uh, Smith from Halifax, the guy that invented Cat's Eyes, what a genius. Because driving on a road with a hat and, you know, illumination. And history is littered with little people. People that Christian alluded to last week in his ministry, unknowns, that are brightly shone into the world and made an incredible difference. We sing a great anthem song in the worship, that the worship band bring to us about, letting our light shine that the whole world may see. Now that little song that sometimes little kiddies sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You say, what difference can I make? But just imagine, as I just alluded to a couple of black experiences in my life, just imagine those experiences. When the light came on, what a difference it made. What a difference it made. Friends, in our world, in this world that expresses itself through this church community called Arena Mansfield, we can make an amazing difference through seemingly little acts that nobody's seemingly taking any notice of because it illuminates a dark world. Light brings imposition because directly linked to the, uh, the, the encouragement to light, it says that you're a city on a hill that cannot be hit. Forgive me one more illustration, but one of the wow factors of this year was that, you know that in January this year, it seems longer ago than that, I had the joy of being part of a delegation of the national leadership team of the Sunday's God that went to Israel. And on that, um, <clears throat> on that Wednesday morning, we, we, we did the long, literally, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a motorway that goes, wing, wing, and the little bus was chugging away, chugging away, chugging away to the city on a hill that cannot be here. It's called Jerusalem. And uh, we'd, we'd come from the depths of, of the nation, a small nation, and, you know, all the issues at the moment, literally from the depths of the Dead Sea, and climbed this hill, climbed this hill. We went through this uh, under, underground tunnel, and the guide says, just look to your left. We looked to the left, and it was a wow moment, because there it was spread across the hillside, the great city of Jerusalem. Somebody described it, the talk I described it as the most religious city in the world. It probably is. But it was, wow. The city on the hill that cannot be hid. You talk about Mount Zion. You know, in the Bible, it's describing Jerusalem on the hill. And uh, here's the truth. The church of Jesus Christ is not meant to be on the valley. It's meant to be on the hill. It's meant to be the city that's there. And people can actually look at it in the spirit and say, People are looking for something, friends, of a wow factor in the church. And it's not just, we want great music. We want great graphics. We want all of that stuff that makes modern church work. But here's the wow factor. It's Jesus at the center of all that we do. And in the right sense of the word, it imposes itself upon a society and makes a difference. And finally, light speaks of industry. You see, because as I've already alluded to, light brought good works. It brought actions. It brought charitable deeds. It brought reaching out to the poor and needy. It got somebody stirred up like Christian two and a half years ago that began to talk, began to empower people in church to say, actually, guys, on the doorstep of our church, there are kids going hungry at night and we need to do something about it. And thousands of parcels later and thousands of pounds later, the journey of food bank goes on unabated. And any time now, we're about to move into that newly renovated uh, huge uh, 
premise just around the corner from the church to begin to take that project to another level. Because that's what light does. That's what light does. You see, friends, God's called us to works. We need to measure that, of course, because we all live in busy worlds. But we need to give ourselves to the work of the Lord. Corinthians 15, 58, Josh spoke on. So what will they see when we shine? Well, somebody wrote these words. They're not mine. When we shine in light in the world, they'll observe your courtesy. They'll detect your smile. They'll note that you said thank you. They'll hear your apology. They'll see that you help when they are struggling. Light means recognizing the visible manifestation of Christ's life through you and me. And they will worship. And so we draw to a conclusion. Stand. Stand. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers. That's why the Apostle Paul says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. And in that day when the evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Stand firm in the faith, because our labors are never wasted. Stand still and see again that God's in control of every situation. Let's stand together. So nothing will ever get through and impair our unity. And brothers and sisters, let's stand out. Just as the Apostle Paul on that stormy day, when he spoke to the people out of receiving a word from God, let's be unashamedly what God's called us to be in these days. Shaking the salt and shining the light for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. Because that brings an influence that literally comes from heaven. It's been defined as this. The act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion, force, or direct command. But you know it's touched people. And there are multitudes of examples of people that have allowed the salt to be shaken from their lives and the light to emit from them. And I like to look for the underdogs at times, people that don't get sort of much of a mention. 1848, Dr. John Getty went as a missionary. To an unreached people groups in the southern seas. They didn't know anything about Jesus. They'd never heard of God. They'd never read a Bible. And for 24 years, from his medical background, and, and sowing into people's lives in terms of bringing help and blessing, but also ministering the word of God, he ministered to that island people. And when he left, they erected a mor- memorial stone in his order, honor and says that when Dr. John Getty landed in 1848, there were no Christians. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathens. That's influence. Influence and our world, this world, your world, needs you today, friends, to stand to unashamedly with clarity, with purpose, and with some sense of credibility to stand out for the Lord. May God help us and remember you can make a difference.